0: On today's episode, Elliot opens up about his Hoffman journey, his heritage, and so much more. The story of his parents and their upbringing is something I could not shake for days after our discussion. He is so beautifully authentic and shares about life post-process and a promise he made to himself to live life fully for all that it is. His words and his presence sparked a new energy within me. I hope you enjoy Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Liz Severin, and on this podcast, we engage in conversation and learn from Hoffman graduates. We'll dive deep into their journeys of self-discovery and explore how the process transformed their internal and external worlds. They share how their spirit and light now burn brighter in all directions of their lives. They're Love's Everyday Radius. Good morning. Hi, Elliot.
1: Good morning, Liz. How are you?
0: I am so excited to be able to sit down and talk to you about your story today.
1: Thanks, Liz. I'm just appreciative and uh, honored and happy to share.
0: Yay! So I always think it's nice just to introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit about maybe what you do in the world and go from there.
1: Absolutely. So I am... uh... Uh, I think maybe the most exciting thing I am is uh, I'm a dad, uh, two two great kids. I have uh, an 18-year-old son, a 14-year-old daughter. Today, I work as a business coach, a facilitator. Uh, I help business owners run their businesses more effectively, drive growth, and ideally live a better life as a result of that. And I came to that from an entrepreneurial background. Never meant to be in business. <laughs> uh, I'm a failed biology major, but then helped grow a uh, startup change management business into one that had uh, clients worldwide, a uh, really strong reputation uh, that's since been acquired by a major consulting firm and worked with a, a couple founders of a retail startup, healthcare chain, helped them grow and scale their business. Uh, I've worked with uh, business leaders at Global 1000 type companies, Fortune 500 types of companies. But right now, my focus is working with business owners, helping them to run their business better, hopefully live a better life.
0: Hmm. Awesome. And tell us a little bit about where you grew up.
1: Uh, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. You know, on the surface, look like any other kid who grew up in the suburb. pretty prototypical white male <laughs> kid, but with a little bit of a different background. I'm first generation. My parents came over the year before I was born to the United States, thankfully, as uh, as refugees.
0: And tell us a little bit more about that. Where did they Where did they come from? They came
1: from Eastern Europe. My mom came over from uh, Russia. And so I think, you know, for me, it was one of those worlds where On the outside, I might have looked like any other kid. On the inside, our home was a little bit different. And uh, so my mom was born in Russia, in the USSR. She was born in uh, in the late 1930s. Her parents had actually left Poland and went looking for a better life in uh, Russia. She was born in the Ukraine. But at that time, it was the time of Stalin, uh, enemies of the people. Really, just a couple months after she was born, her parents were separated, sent to different prisons in Siberia. And she grew up in, as I now understand, you I grew up in an orphanage, one of those orphanages that uh, I think the kids stopped crying from giving up hope. And on the other side, I literally have a barbed wire fence. Her mom was in prison. So she grew up never really knowing what love was, never really knowing what it was like to work with other people, be with other people. In terms of the scale or tiers, I think, of how people were, she sort of grew up at the the bottom of the bottom, periodically seeing her mother, then having her mother taken away, sometimes sent away to different places. Eventually, she was routed, as that system works, into a path. So she became a, a large animal veterinarian, even though she hated animals. But that was, uh, that was a backdrop of my mom, at least before she met my dad.
0: <laughs> okay, but we have to rewind because that was a whole lot of incredible story there. So... She grew up in an orphanage while her mother was in prison. So did they get to have contact with each other? or What do you know of that? From what I know of that,
1: yes, they could periodically have contact with each other. There were times when her mother would be... Let out of prison. So for example, when she was 12, my mom will share share stories of how she spent a couple years with her mom. Again, it's a different time. She would, you know, with her mom find spaces inside of effectively sod huts uh, in poor towns or villages inside of Siberia, which was effectively sort of a prison area they might rent a little piece of a hut they'd be spending time together her mom would go to school her mom would interact with her and uh, you know forage or, or do basic work but then you know at times my mom would share you know stories when she was 14 when she kind of had a bad feeling she was playing with friends ran home to go see her mother and saw her mother being taken away by the police to another prison so that was a lot of what her childhood sounded like you know a very poor uh, Newspaper stuffed in shoes, uh, you know, the orphanage, looking for coal on tracks. A tough environment, especially tough. You know, I think something no child should experience, but certainly no girl should experience.
0: Were they ever reunited as they got older?
1: They were reunited. So eventually her brother was found to no longer be an enemy of the, of the people, as as well as her father. Uh, you know, there's sort of a, a cleanup afterward. So she she did was able to spend time with her mother. She did find her father and spend a bit of time with her father, who at that point had remarried, not realizing that her mom was still alive. Eventually, she and her mom were able to come to Poland. Uh, my dad was able to bring them out of the Soviet Union into Poland. And then she and her mother also came together when uh, uh, they came to the United States, ultimately. So she was able to reunite with her mother.
0: Well, and so then how did your father meet her?
1: Well, so my father's story is a little bit of a longer story. <laughs> story. My father grew up in Poland. Uh, he was born in Poland, Jewish, and, you know, normal, everyday kid. His life changed when Germany invaded Poland. He was 13 years old. And within five months, his life entirely changed. So he, by the end of the war, survived the Lodge Ghetto, he survived uh, three concentration camps. Escaping that forced, forced uh, death march. And by the end of the war, he lost his really entire extended family. His dad passed away while they were together in the ghetto. Uh, his mom had been sent to Auschwitz, where she died. His sister miraculously survived. And so they did reunite. She survived Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. After the war, they, they reunited. They chose, he and his sister uh, chose to co- go back to Poland. That even though he'd never gone to school, beyond the age of 13, he was identified as a high talent. And because they were in the communist sphere, the government sent him to Russia to become a doctor. Didn't know a word of Russian, graduated first in his class as a surgeon, came back to Poland, went into the, uh, as was a military surgeon, entered into civilian life. And fast forward to the 1960s, my mom was able to go visit her original family, in Poland. She didn't understand any Polish. They couldn't speak Russian. <laughs> they knew of my dad, uh, who, because he went to school in Russia, had spoken some Russian and invited my dad over to be a translator. And uh, that's how they met. They were together for about three weeks and <laughs> they got married uh, with a civilian marriage, which really was a way of getting her back out of the Soviet Union. She had to go back to Russia and nine months later. The government let her and her mom out. They both came to Poland and uh, for a couple of years. They had a newlywed uh, happy life.
0: <laughs> wow. So then mom and dad are now together in Poland. How do they get to America?
1: So that was kind of one more round of change for, for both of my parents, for my dad especially. But uh, in 1968, there was sort of a final round. There were only a few thousand Jews left in Poland. It just became clear that if you, if you were Jewish, you had to get out. They, they were sort of forced out. And so in 1968, they, they basically had to escape. They left with just a few belongings, uh, really just enough to bribe folks on the on the journey out. Stateless, uh, no passport, no documents, refugees. And so in 1968, they left Poland as refugees. Fortunately, we had a relative in the United States. They were able to sponsor my parents. And the year before I was born, uh, they came to the United States, $20 in their pocket. And for my dad, having to start entirely over, for, really for both of them, but for my dad... None of his medical career carried over. So in his mid-40s, he had to start over and build build yet another life.
0: I am speechless, Elliot. I feel like I have a million questions of where I could take this. I'm curious then, so here he is starting over a new life. Does he pick a similar career?
1: He wanted to. He's just a, a gritty, amazing, resilient person. There's an entire process for basically taking exams all over again in order just to get back into medical school. In his case, he wanted to go back and be a surgeon, wasn't able to. There were sort of caps on immigrants, the number of people that that could become surgeons and uh, quickly recognized he needed to switch careers and became an anesthesiologist. But for me, for my entire childhood, it was really a dad who was just going back to medical school, starting entirely over. In his case, he couldn't go into private practice or things like that, just couldn't take the risk. His passion had always been helping people, and he became a professor, as well as working anesthesiologist. And so, really, what my childhood looked like was, on the surface, uh, a parent who might have been a, uh, a physician at some level, but in practice, you know, we were growing up on goodwill. My parents didn't have much money. Uh, you know, he was going back to medical school, rebuilding a career, saving every penny they could because they knew there was only so long to be able to, uh, to work. My education was a huge importance to them, so they wanted to be able to do that for me. But really, for me, it was growing up with a dad who I knew tremendously loved me, who was sort of the hero in the house, but who at the same time was just preoccupied. Really early mornings, really late nights, would come back, uh, be tired, <laughs> distracted, and did his absolute best to to rebuild a career as both teaching other physicians and, from what I understand, a really amazing doctor.
0: Wow. And so... Growing up, you're the only child. Is that right?
1: I was correct. I am.
0: We talk about in the process, uh, sometimes about feeling states, you know, what was the mood in the household like? Did your parents openly talk about these decades in their lives before coming to America? Or was it something that you didn't talk about as a family?
1: Yeah, you know, it's such a great question or an interesting question. I think it was sort of, um, I think that on the one hand, man, I just wanted to be a normal kid. And they just wanted me to be a normal kid. And, you know, I think as a parent, they, want, they wanted to shield me. And at the same time, it just was what it was. You know, sometimes it sort of felt like there was a third person in the house or a fourth person in the house, you know, sort of, uh, which was their history and and what they went through and and their loss. And so, and there were very different people in their personalities. So I think my dad's way of handling things was that he could intellectualize. He was a funny person, but, you know, with a, a tempered sense of humor. And it was there, so he definitely would talk about it. It was just part of life, A, reluctantly, but he would. On my mom's side, I think that for her, it was just way too raw, way too real. Mm. They had very different personalities, very different emotions. Uh, For her, it was almost uh, you couldn't have too much fun. Uh, She didn't really know how to have joy. She didn't know how to have fun. If things got too too boisterous, had to shut that down. It was almost comforting to not talk about what happened to focus on on the negative you know almost a fear of you know if if you let go too much the other shoe might drop and so it was a very sort of maybe schizophrenic house depending on the energy of who was there which parent was there at what time
0: and what meaning do you think you made of all of that as a kid
1: you know i think i'm still trying to figure some of that out but i think that on the one hand one of the biggest things and it was interesting later where I think I, I thought that I was escaping, I might not have. One of the biggest things I think is that there might be a streak of independence <laughs> in the sense that I didn't want to be in a box. I didn't want to be defined by anything. Maybe it was a sense that they might have been defined by not even who they were, but what box they were put into. And so for me, you know, I, I might have gone through life at some points in time of maybe as an athlete, but I wasn't going to be a jog. Maybe I was smart, but I wasn't going to be a geek or whatever those terms were. I really didn't want to be defined or put into a box. I really wanted to be independent. I really wanted to run away from anything in the past. I sort of shut all of it off because I just didn't want it to affect me in my mind. And so there's a part of it that showed up that way. There's a part of it, I think, that was confusing. Do I resent my folks? (laughs) Do I appreciate them? Do I love them? What reaction, what response do I have? And so there's that. And then I think there was a part for me where I never felt like I belonged. Uh, I never felt like I fit in. So I could put on the show on the outside. But deep down inside, I just never felt like I belonged in the room, always felt like an outsider. And so that was a part of me that I carried as well.
0: I can only imagine how your parents felt too, coming to the States. And your dad, you said, was in his 40s. Did you get a sense that they just didn't feel like they belonged either?
1: Absolutely. I think that there was a, a sense that they didn't belong and they didn't fit into any community. There's no community that they could identify with, they, there was no community that they could fit into because their experiences were so different. My dad was a little bit older too, so there was no common uh, community for, for him, there was none for my mom and so there was i think this constant sense of needing to find a way to fit in for security but at the same time never feeling like like you did or they did
0: i'm just still so struck by that because you um you know you were then born in ohio and it's you know you're like you said this whole time in an in an environment around you at school that that's relatively normal but to know that there is this legacy this history just a year prior to your birth that Not that people don't have their own struggles, but what a different world. Leaving and fleeing your country with $20 in your pocket, landing in Ohio. It's like, I can imagine this was just such a confusing world. And then you were born into that.
1: I was. And, you know, I think in a funny way, not to minimize uh, in any way, but I think one of the things that that really has been wonderful about Hoffman and just connecting with other people and, and understanding other stories is that. As unique as the story is, I think it's just in some ways I think I feel so connected to folks who there's so many threads or themes of how you feel when you grow out of it. They really connect with just where other people are coming from. And so while uh, that story might might feel or might be, you know, in, in some ways distinct. The emotions and the ways you feel and what you struggle through. I can really identify with you know, other people and see those threads, and, and hopefully it's not that far from from what so many other people go through as well personally.
0: It's beautiful. Well, and so then, what did draw you to the process? Let's let's take it there.
1: So I was definitely going through uh, a very difficult time. You know, I mean, if I could just fast forward, you know, I built a a good life. I was good at what I did. I worked with amazing business leaders, traveled the world, working uh, built a career. Rebuilt it multiple times more just out of curiosity and interest, uh, which, which was fun. But the reality is I, I just never truly lived. So on the surface, you know, beautiful kids, beautiful wife, a wonderful home. On the outside, I think so much that, that looked good. The reality was that, you know, it was COVID and my world was imploding. I was going through divorce. I felt like I didn't have the relationship with my son that I wanted to. I had never really been able to build a relationship with my daughter the way that I wanted to. The work had been impacted with COVID. So I was throwing myself into work as uh, as it started to reemerge to sort of Catch up financially or get to, to where, where I wanted to be. At the same time, I knew that things were out of balance uh, and just weren't working. So I was, I was trying to start a new practice, a new business that would uh, allow me to do what I thought that I truly loved doing, which is what I truly love doing. But building a new practice on top of that just took time. And I was exhausted. I hit the breaking point. The more that I was trying to control, the more that I was trying to hold things together, the more that I was losing absolutely everything, my marriage, my kids, I was exhausted. And I just, I woke up one day and I just realized that everything that I thought that I was doing just felt like it just wasn't working anymore. And that started me the journey that started a wonderful journey of eventually taking me to, uh, to bringing me to Hoffman.
0: That's awesome. So I always am interested to hear because I, you know, I heard about Hoffman in an odd way, but What was it about Hoffman that made you think, yeah, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to sign up for a week, you know, all this money, no phone. What was it in that that sounded appealing to you? Essentially, I didn't know that much about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's how most people's story starts. They're like, I didn't know that much about it, but I did it.
1: (laughs) I think that what brought me to Hoffman, there were a couple of things. Maybe to back up a little bit is that when I when I sort of felt like I almost hit rock bottom emotionally, I woke up one morning, I don't even remember writing it, but I wrote three pages, which is not how I communicate, but it just flowed right out of me. And it was sort of this vivid picture of who I wanted to be, who I could be. Some parts of it might have been where I was. And it just sort of, it just flowed out of me. I think I, I for lack of a better word, I think I broke one, one night. <laughs> and... I could see just in how many dimensions I could be. You know, I, I was in a place where I felt like I, I had no more feelings, I had no more emotions. I had been digging deep, and I didn't even know what the words were. But I could see this person that I could be, that I just had to be, that I wanted to be, that that I was, but it just wasn't coming out. And I threw myself into it. Uh, you know, I sort of feel like I read all the books. I, I uh, uh, listened to the podcasts. Uh, I began to work with a therapist. I went to different things. I uh, had some people around me that were just amazing and calling me out on things that I'd never been called out on. And and I was at a place where at least I started having a language that I never had, had before. You know, I was looking at it, and I, I was in a spot where I just felt like I started putting words like. I never felt like I fit in. I'm an outsider. I feel like I'm not enough. That I'm not smart enough or athletic enough, or you know that I that I'd be found out. You know that I'm an impostor. I'm a fraud. That I keep operating out of scarcity and and uh, and every so much is fear based of how I'm where I'm coming from. Even though I'm doing great, pretty big things on the outside that people might be oppressed with. It's coming from place of scarcity. It's coming from place of fear everything seemed to tie to my fear of being rejected, or a lack of self-esteem, or a lack of self-confidence. Or I didn't know what a people pleaser meant. But sure enough, I'm like, yep, that's probably me. Or codependence, uh, that might be me. Or maybe I have some dysfunctional patterns like being a workaholic that serves well, but boy, it just wasn't coming from a good place. And as I kept digging deeper and deeper, and just finding that there are these words, and these languages, and turns out, I thought that I couldn't feel I didn't have emotions. That was kind of what, what, was it, what I was working through. I was just trying to absorb everything I could and just looking for something. And three funny things happened that brought me to Hoffman specifically. One, someone who I knew really more in passing came out and said they just had a life-changing experience, this thing called Hoffman. The second thing was that um, I met someone who said, you know, you know that you have no words for feelings. I said, yeah, I do. And they said, N- no, you don't. And I said, I think I do. And they said... Okay, you have 3 words. Okay, good, and fine. And those aren't feeling words. And I said, I kind of think I am. And they said, for someone who knows words, (laughs) you might want to look at that. And they went ahead and they printed out a form, a sheet that had a whole bunch of words that had feelings and emotions. And at the bottom of it, it said Hoffman. And the third thing was that I happened to listen to a couple of podcasts, folks that have been through the Hoffman process, uh, a couple of podcasts that that are out there. And when I just started hearing the people who had gone through it, what they had to say about it, it just was one of those instant, all right, I just got to do it. This is what I have to do next.
0: I always love hearing that because I think that it really just speaks to um, what you're picking up on, right, is the energy of the person and the, the ways in which they've changed versus... You know, everything happens on such this deep cellular level that it's hard sometimes to articulate. And I, I know that firsthand, but I love hearing that just hearing from other people. You're like, yeah, I want more of that. Sign me up for whatever that is. Well, when is a time I also always am interested by this. When is a time in the process where you find yourself there and you're kind of looking around and it's like boom. Okay. I know I'm where I'm meant to be or some really big magical moment. What was one of those for you?
1: Can I give you three? <laughs> well, let me just open up with, I pull into the Hoffman, a beautiful place, beautiful spot, California. And I pull in, it was, it was at night and uh, the wonderful person who checked me in. And I just looked at the person. I just said, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, I've been through it too. And just that sense of, wow, there's someone who's working here who actually went through the process and that's how they're showing up and they can connect with me. And there was something in that where I just said, wait a minute, hold on a second. The people who were here actually went through this. And that landed for me. I think a second for me was, I believe it was on the first day, sitting in a room and having two concepts that I just think I was ready for. But one was just this concept of Surrender versus submission. And I think it was just having the word, the definition of what that meant. And surrender is something I just don't do. (laughs) I will not do something against my will. But man, submission and and just having that definition of saying, Are you ready? And I was ready. There's something about that concept that just said to me, All right, I don't know what I'm getting into, but for the next week, the next few days, I'm just ready. Uh, Let's just see where this goes. That was tremendous. And then right off the bat, being able to define this concept of a of a left road versus a right road, and just all the definition of the patterns of things that I do that I couldn't put words to on the one side, and just a concept that I might actually have a choice of how I respond—that was huge. But in terms of, I think that the thing that landed for me the most, most powerfully, was um, there's a time of of writing a letter, and if I remember, it was it was writing a letter that was sort of my emotional child speaking with my parents' emotional child, my mom's emotional child, my dad's emotional child, and finding that I had so much resentment, so much frustration, so much anger. I think that what I uncovered was I'd shoved all of that away, so I didn't think I had any anger, and it wasn't anger, I had rage. Writing a letter from my emotional child to my parents' emotional child and just saying, what happened? What did you go through? And finding that I came out of that process with such an empathy, such a connection, such compassion, such love, such um, connection to my parents and what they went through, and what their child might have gone through, their their personal child, for what they went through, uh, grew up before anything bad happened, and then when things bad started to happen, it created such a level of just love. And I think for me, just an ability to understand myself, things that I could never understand about myself just became so clear. It was just amazing. It was like layers and layers and layers. Um, I just started to shed and I just felt raw and connected to them in such a beautiful way uh, that I carry today.
0: Tell us more about that positive legacy that lives in you today and you're taken forward.
1: From how I, I think a couple of things is when I came out, I came out with an intent to be able to live fully. I felt like truly before Hoffman, I just not lived. And I, I think I came about feeling fiercely like I'm ready. I am just ready to live life absolutely fully uh, for all that it is because it's beautiful and it's wonderful. I think he got one shot at it and, uh, and it's, it's just a wonderful place to be, to be there fully, to be there present, to be there connected. So that was an intent. I think two things happened. One is when at the moment I came out, Well, the first thing I did is I called my mom and I said, ''Hey mom, just uh, so you know, I've been gone for a week. I know that was rough for you to not hear from me for a week. went through this thing and I just got to tell you, I hope you can forgive me for being as rough of a kid as I was.'' And uh, there's a long pause on the other side. And and, uh, and I just heard her say, ''I I don't know what just happened, but can you do this more often?'' (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I said, no, Hoffman is a one-time thing. <laughs> More deeply though, I think for the first time, I felt like it came out and I could truly, truly love myself. You know, I, I put three beliefs out before I came to Hoffman that I was playing with. And, and um, I don't know that I could truly put my hands on whether I really had gotten it. And one of the greatest gifts I think I had from Hoffman is this concept of so often we, we do things so we can have them, so we can be someone. And I, I felt like so much I was, I was doing things for security, for safety, etc. So that, you know, so that I could have those things and eventually, and being able to flip that to say, how can I just be? <laughs> can I just truly be? And from that place of just truly being, I'll do things and then, and then I'll have things. And to be in a place now where I can say, you know, or feel that I truly love myself, uh, that I am enough, that I believe in me, that I trust in myself, that, you know, I truly belong in the room. And now, like I just can't help but connect with people at just such a different level, and can't help but connect themselves or connect each other that I just attract opportunities, and that before I would just do things just out of brute force without thinking without understanding, and now to be in a place where I can truly believe and find that I can do anything I put my mind to, but with grace and ease and joy, it's a wonderful place to be and, and, and one that I truly feel that coming out of Hoffman and for the people around me. I think, you know, the way that I can be with my kids, with my friends, with my colleagues that uh, what they're saying, you're just showing up full. Uh, You're present. You're here. You're connected. You feel all over the place. (laughs) I mean, in other words, (laughs) I feel things and I have emotions. And I'm just there uh, working and playing fully and and ideally creating a ripple with the people around me just by my being able to be who I want to be and who I am being able to show up fully and live life with people and in a way that connects and lands that that aren't coming out of unconscious patterns and and my own stuff, but just who I believe I am and who I want to be is just a beautiful place.
0: Yeah. And what an incredible reminder in making the connection of this passion and this zest for living life fully and starting from that place of being. How can I be more present, be more curious, be more embodied in my spiritual self is such a a simple and yet so powerful way to approach life.
1: It's beautiful, Liz, and I'm just so happy to just be.
0: (laughs) Incredible. Well, I'm also curious, what did you find most challenging about the process?
1: You know, I... I literally was physically shaking so many times during the process. I've never been through something that is so visceral. And I think that there was so much about the process where I had packed so much away. I'm really good at it. (laughs) If there's one thing I'm good at, and it's recognizing that I just had to go there. I had to let go. Uh, I had to submit. But in that, I think that there were so many times where... There were things that I just never wanted to face or didn't even remember anymore that were coming out, and so I think that one of the hardest things for me about the Hoffman process was that, in a funny way, the experience, the rawness, the approach—I mean, it's physical, it's intellectual, it's, like, it's mental—it's it's all of it. In some ways, it makes things so easy for you to go to places that you've just, for me to go to places that I've never been before. But at the same time, the depth and the rawness where I was just facing things that I never could have imagined that I was facing. There's some days, it just felt like literally, I was standing on a cliff and wanting to puke. But my gosh, at the same time, as hard as it was, I knew that there was a group that was there supporting a process that was supporting a way of doing it and knowing that every minute of it... In fact, I looked at some of my notes uh, before, fr- from during the process before we talked, and I just saw myself and, uh, and uh, you know, my spirit self talking to myself saying, go harder, go deeper. This is where you need to go. And so I think that was a challenge, but it was never the wrong thing. It was never scary. It was just myself pushing myself to just go all the way because that's what I had to do.
0: What in the challenge did you learn about yourself?
1: <laughs> so I think the biggest thing that I treasure, or one of the biggest things, how can I say that with the one thing? is finding out that there are four parts of me. I think probably the fairest thing for me to say is this entire area. A couple of years ago, I would have thought it was woo-woo. <laughs> and now all I can say is, no, if you're not going here fully as a human, you're not there as a full human. You're not living as a full human. You're not present. You're not showing up. You're not being the person who you can be and, and need to be. And so I think for me, one of the biggest things that I came away with to answer your question was just this recognition that There really is, at least for me, for lack of a better word, and I uh, come back to it every day, there's an intellectual self. And that's the part that I lived in forever, uh, trying to force things into. There's a body self. There is an emotional self in me. And there's a spiritual self in me. And if I can pay attention to each of those four selves, if I can truly listen to them, and for me, I have to do it every single day. But if I can really have a practice and a process where I'm truly paying attention to, what exactly is my emotional self? Where is it right now? And what's it saying? Where exactly is my physical self, my body? What's it saying? What exactly is my emotional self? Where is it? What's it saying? And where's my spirit self? Uh, this thing I never believed that I had. And what's it telling me? Oh, my ability to show up clear every single day, to be able to show up more centered than ever more present than ever. And being able to check in on what's my intuition telling me and how do I need to show up and how do I move forward? That's something I just never, ever had. And that's something I was absolutely missing. And that is something that I took away is just that ability to say, yep, there are these four parts. For me, they're real. (laughs) And I've got a practice and a process and a set of tools to keep coming back to them uh, every single day and show up the way that I want.
0: Well, thank you so much, Elliot. I appreciate just your honesty and vulnerability throughout this entire conversation. I you had me on the verge of tears for almost our full first ten minutes as you um, you know, courageously told the story about your past. So I just really want to thank you for um yeah, showing up today, fully being today.
1: Thank you, Liz, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to, uh, you know, share things I've never really shared with people. And uh, and I think you know one of the things I absolutely treasure about coming out of Hoffman is just an ability to be more, maybe more raw, more authentic, uh, more real than ever, and uh, uh, hopefully to uh, make a bit of a ripple in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it, one, you know, Bob Hoffman's thing, changing the world one person at a time, or world peace, you know, one person at a time, and it's just so powerful that when we show up in that way of being or that shift, it impacts everyone around us.
1: I hope it does, I hope it does. Thank you, Liz, thank you for everything.
0: Thanks so much, Elliot. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi, I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to HoffmanInstitute.org.